There are some things in this world that you can't explain. One of those things is magic. Another is, how do they get Mrs. Fig in those fig rolls? A third is, technical difficulties. Unfortunately, whilst recording this podcast, we had some of those unforeseen technical difficulties. We've cleaned up the recording as best we can, but it's not as best as we would like. But we've decided to send it out after scrubbing and cleaning that audio for your squeaky clean ears. Please enjoy the podcast and uh, we'll be back to our usual next week. Hello, fellow readers, and welcome to episode four of the Ravenclaw Readers with me, Claire. And Ella. And Paul. This week, we will be looking at um, Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone, chapter four, The Keeper of the Keys. And we will be paralleling that with the poem In Flanders Fields by John McRae. This week, we're shaking things up a bit by bringing our secondary reading right from antiquity all the way into the 20th century. We'll be looking at the oft-recited poem in Flanders Fields, written by Lieutenant Colonel John McRae. McRae served as an officer in the Canadian forces during the First World War and wrote this poem in 1915 for the funeral of a fellow soldier who had died during the conflict. The poem's references to poppies is significant, as the poppy is now a familiar symbol of remembrance to honour those whose lives have been lost in armed conflict. Ella, would you mind refreshing our memories as to what happens in Chapter 4 of the Philosopher's Stone, please? Yes, so after the cliffhanger of the last chapter, with the booming at the door, Hagrid arrives at the hut on the rock bearing a birthday cake for Harry and his letter from Hogwarts, which Harry is finally able to read. After thoroughly terrifying the Dursleys, Hagrid tells Harry the truth about his wizarding heritage and identity, about Voldemort, and also about what happened to his parents. Thank you very much. So I'll just read out the poem. No need for a summary this week. The poem is nice and short. In Flanders Fields. In Flanders Fields, the poppies blow between the crosses, row on row, that mark our place, and in the sky, the larks, still bravely singing, fly, scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago, we lived, felt dawn, saw sunset glow, loved and were loved, and now we lie in Flanders Fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe. To you from failing hands we throw the torch. Be yours to hold it high. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. Initially, this might seem like an odd choice, a war poem to be read alongside the chapter Harry finds out he's a wizard. Also, this text is a little different because there are no characters against which we can compare Harry, nor are there any plot points that parallel one another in the texts. Rather, we must consider the themes and imagery of the poem and how that relates to chapter four of the Philosopher's Stone. And this is the chapter in which Harry realises his parents died fighting in a war against the darkest wizard that ever lived, Voldemort. Lily and James were casualties of that war, but so was Harry and countless others from the wizarding community, some of whom are named by Hagrid in this chapter. I also wanted to explore the importance of remembrance. How does In Flanders Fields call upon it? And how is it expressed, or perhaps repressed, in The Keeper of the Keys? Just um, hearing you read out the poem again, one line really struck me, which was like passing on the torch. And I feel like that's something that's very applicable to this chapter, because in a way, Hagrid telling Harry all about the wizarding war that his parents died in, that's kind of passing on the torch to Harry. It's like your parents started this work, they were killed in the war, I'm now telling you so you can take up the war yourself. Um, which is probably not necessarily what he intended when he was telling poor 11-year-old Harry that, but that is what happens, you know. We see Harry 
picking up the torch that his parents dropped when they fell. Yeah, absolutely. I I I got a similar um image as well because I felt like <laughs> when you think about all that happens later, this chapter is actually a lot of pressure being put on Harry. And you're I you're right. I don't think Hagrid <laughs> means that at all because that's not the type of person that Hagrid is. But, you know, very often Hagrid can be a bit um, unaware of the message that he's portraying with his words. You know, he means well, but what he's communicating might be a bit actually like quite um, quite serious and, and very heavy. Um, but this book is all about, I suppose, exploration for Harry. So he himself might not yet feel that burden, but we now know that it's coming. And it kind of gives this chapter... There's that sense of excitement with New Wizarding World is so exciting, but there is also that dread because we know what's coming in in terms of Voldemort and and what's happening going to happen in the future. There is um, a sort of call to action in this poem, and you're absolutely right. When we read it now, it is to remember, um, and we have a responsibility to remember. Um, but I do wonder, was it a call to arms? And what is Hagrid's is, you know, is it both a call to remember and a call to arms? Because even in this chapter, um, whether or not Voldemort has been killed is put into question. I think that's the first time it's sort of in the first chapter. It's like he's gone. He's gone. And it's a celebration. But yeah, only Dumbledore is a bit unsure of it. But yeah, it's uh, here. We start to see it loom sort of back in. It becomes a threat once more when um, Harry learns of his parentage and his who he is yeah i guess we could see this as kind of an act of remembrance because hagrid when he's telling harry about his parents i i think i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i think this is the first time harry hears that he looks like his father but has his mother's eyes those famous words yeah yeah i noticed that as well yeah what does he say uh you look a lot like your dad but you've got your mum's eyes classic Hagrid. <laughs> but that in itself is kind of an act of remembrance mm. because Harry has no memory of this um, and Hagrid is kind of remembering Lillian James himself but also giving Harry an image that he can then kind of commemorate and think of. Mm. The dead live on um, in, you know in sort of in Harry the torch has been passed to him and, and so is the that responsibility which Lily and, and um James. James, when they face Voldemort. Absolutely. Harry's appearance is so important to the books and how so many different characters interact with him. Um, and that kind of made me think about Harry being this embodiment of remembrance in a way that's kind of unfair to put on a child. Because in this chapter, we see that he's the embodiment of Petunia's resentment for, for Lily. And Vernon's his kind of hatred for the magical world, and it's just going to get further complicated when we <laughs> come across Snape and all that history there. And I just, you know, it's it's just a really interesting way of portraying the the legacy that is lived on in a child. And in this way, it's kind of for better or for worse. Just from this one child, there's all these unresolved issues that have come about due to the war so we have the greater wizarding society with the unresolved issues of Voldemort is he dead is he not but later on we'll see the unresolved issues of the personal issues of people which we get 
touched upon here, it's kind of signaled with Petunia, but it's going to get even worse later as we enter the wizarding world. And Harry has to have that burden of being this famous child, but also, you know, being the child of these two individual people, Lily and James as well. Yeah, and so that's actually... Now I think about it, it's when people meet Harry for the first time, that's one of the first things they say to him mm-hmm. is how much he looks like his father, but with his mother's eyes. Yeah. Um, so it's like constantly reinforcing him that he is his parents' child. It's definitely a big responsibility, um, which he sort of uh, inherits. Yeah. But I think the poem as well sort of communicates a responsibility yeah. to us to to carry on the torch. Otherwise, though they, what is the line? Though they um, sleep under poppies, uh, they shall not rest or something. If ye break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep though poppies grow in Flanders field. So yeah, that idea of breaking faith, does that hold in it uh, a responsibility? Because it's not Harry's choice to be thrust into this position, and yet he has to take on that burden of responsibility. He doesn't have an option. It's an obligation he doesn't choose. Yeah. But he has to do it. But he sort of has to do it. Yeah. (laughs) It's really sad seeing all this coming from when he's just 11 and I don't know I, I've, I've never kind of read it with this amount of sadness in the first book before and maybe this is how Dumbledore felt when he first came across Harry this idea of this young boy who's just a lovely little 11 year old child you know yeah he's got, <laughs> it's got issues with the Dursleys that's terrible but you know through all that he's, he's remained good spirited and yet you know all this horrible stuff is in the future for him and that's, I don't know, maybe it's made me understand Dumbledore's perspective a bit more. So this, um, the poem uh, is in remembrance of, of or we, we use it today to remember those who died in World War One. But it also was in remembrance of his friend at the time as well. Yeah. Um, and I recently found out that I have a, a relative of mine died in World War One, a great, great uncle. And he's forgotten, intentionally forgotten, because he was Irish and he moved to, uh, he, he, he fought for the Scots Guards, actually. And people um, from where I'm from still don't talk about him. And he's sort of forgotten. So I have a very sort of um, personal response to this poem. Because I feel like he's been wronged somehow. What you're talking about is just a personalized view of Absolutely. Yeah, the, no, it is a... the Irish response to the First World War and those who joined the conflict, which is essentially to not really talk about it that much. Um, it's just not something we do. Just like we don't, we don't have remembrance poppies in Ireland. If you wear a remembrance poppy on the street, some someone will probably say something to you, or you'll get funny looks. Um, and that's that's interesting. What you say there, there's the sadness in being forgotten. Because I'm wondering, in this chapter with the Dursleys intentionally trying to forget Harry's parents. And I think I've been pretty sympathetic towards the Dursleys for the last few chapters. But this one, I was so angry at them. I was livid. How could you just not tell this boy anything about his life? It's just so unjust. Yeah, but not only not tell him, but like actually lie to him and say, you know, his parents yeah. died in circumstances that were completely right. untrue. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It's somehow even worse than just avoiding the subject altogether. I'd never even thought about that, but you're right. Like, it's not just an act of omission. They actively invented a story that is completely untrue. Last week, I I think I was a bit sympathetic to Vernon's position in that I can understand why he thought magic was dangerous. But this chapter kind of made me think about, I mean, yeah, he thought magic was dangerous, 
but he never really tried to understand it. So mm -hmm. my sympathy is only going to go so far because he had no interest in trying to look into magic or understand it in any way. Can we possibly, though, not wanting to be too much of a Dursley apologist, but <laughs> can, we, um, can we defend Petunia in this? Because oh. if you think about how some people might not want to talk about people who've died in war because it brings up painful memories, yeah. if we think about what we see in the later books of how close Lily and Petunia were when they were children and then how it all sort of fell apart for them when Lily discovered that she was a witch and go to Hogwarts and Petunia couldn't. Um, so is it kind of a way of Petunia protecting herself from all the emotional hurt that she had as a child? Yeah, this is why I really want to talk about Petunia because, again, I did not realise until reading this reread, and I've reread these books a few times, this is the most Petunia says in the entire book so far. So what's happened is um, Hagrid has burst through the door and, you know, he's telling Vernon off and whatnot. Uncle Vernon says, uh, we swore when we took him in, we put a stop to that rubbish. Swore we'd stamp it out of him. Wizard indeed. You knew, said Harry. You knew I'm a, a wizard. Knew, shrieked Petunia suddenly. Knew. Of course we knew. How could you not be? My dratted sister being what she was. Oh, she got a letter just like that and disappeared off to that, that school and came home every holiday with her pockets full of frog spawn, turning teacups into rats. I was the only one who saw her for what she was, a freak. But for my mother and father, oh no, it was Lily this and Lily that. They were so proud of having a witch in the family. She stopped to draw a deep breath and then went ranting on. It seemed she had been wanting to say all this for years. So you do really get the sense that she's got all this emotion pent up in her and she doesn't know how to release it. So only now at this heightened moment of like crisis can it all kind of come out. Well, I mean, like, so uh, she, uh, Petunia says, of course, something like, of course we knew. Yeah. And then, um, uh, I mean, several times Hagrid's communicate something like, uh, what else would you be? Uh, you know, it, that it's, you know, it's so obvious that he is a wizard that they, it's only through an, an act, you know, an active um, uh, suppression suppression, or um, that that it would be hidden. And it does, as we saw in the first chapter, sort of, or in, in the second chapter, it leaks through sometimes. And Harry does see these uh, wizards and they sort of confront him or he accidentally commits a deed of magic. And it's through... Um, the violence of the, the Dursleys, maybe their violent reaction that um that it is forgotten, and violence is a is a, a way to to forget something. One thing that sort of remains uh once once it's destroyed is um your parents, the dead. They sort of live on in remembrance. Or... I I agree with that. I want to come back to your point about violence because I I think that is interesting. And oh, I have so much to say. Yeah, so we can get to that, but I want to finish talking about Petunia first. As as Ella was saying about. Petunia trying to protect herself. I think she, I, the thing about Harry Potter is a lot of characters have some very unresolved issues. Um, and Petunia is one of them. Um, and I think she is trying to protect herself when she doesn't tell Harry about this, but I don't think that's the right thing to do. You know, I would agree with that. Yeah. Um, like she's not, do you, she's not doing right by Harry. By she, she's also, only thinking yeah. about herself and yeah, and Dudley I also probably. Don't think she's doing right by herself because you can no. see, you know, how much pent up frustration and hurt it's causing her to keep it all bottled in. Um, but if she feels she can't speak openly about these issues, then that's just gonna make things worse for her. Yeah, and I, 
I do, in a way, have a kind of sympathy towards Petuna and also other characters like Snape. I really, I don't want to talk too much about Snape until we get to his chapter, but there just, there seems to be so much resentment and hurt and deep-seated jealousy in both of these characters. We get to know Snape's side a lot more in relation to James, but it's there in Petunia too with Lily. Um, And in a way, it does make me feel some sympathy towards these characters because I do feel like things happen in life and things happen that can be so hurtful that you don't know how to express them and they can just fester and then you you don't have the words. And I think that that's Petunia. She's a problem. She doesn't have the words to communicate what, what what's wrong. And maybe there are no words to communicate that, but she's still responsible for her actions towards Harry and what she's done by hiding his identity from him. It's not doing anyone any good. And as you say, I don't think it's even doing her any good. Yeah. I think the power of the, the poem in Flanders Field is mm-hmm. that it... Um, uh, it gives us a language in which we, you know, of our own emotions. It, we don't know how to, um, it, you know, remember um, the war and, and those who, who died. And um, in the in the poem with the image of like these dead under the poppies as sort of still living or sleeping, it's really, it's a metaphor um, which we enact in the little language of our imagination. I think the power of the poem is that um, I you know I know it's not true, but I refuse to believe it is untrue. I like to think that it is that you know the the dead are still there, and it is my responsibility to sort of hold the torch and make sure that they are put to rest. And that's because the spirit of the community sort of resides there, and the spirit of the community for 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 Harry is in the wizarding world and in magic. You know, it's just fitting that death is his introduction into it, in a way. The spirit of the community lies in the dead, which is magical. Literally magical. Literally magical in this. But also in our world, it is, it is a, it's a metaphor. Mm-hmm. Your use of the word community kind mm. of really struck me. Yeah, me too. The living community is kind of a beacon of hope for Harry through all the dark times during the Wizarding War that he's now going to participate in. It made me think of the line at the beginning of the poem. When I'm going to paraphrase this, I can't remember it, but something about like there were larks singing in the sky, mm-hmm. but the sound of it was drowned out by gunfire. But I thought that was a really interesting thing of like, even in times of darkness, there's still some kind of hope and happiness happening in the world somewhere. And I thought like that's kind of an idea that Harry really has to cling to. And he finds his solace and his hope and his happiness in his friends and in people like Hagrid and Dumbledore and the people of the magical community that he's soon going to rejoin. They are kind of his lark in yeah. times of darkness, in times of war. Then as well, with the idea of community comes the burden of responsibility, because in order to be a part of a community, you are responsible to one another. How, how is Hagrid, how does he undertake his responsibility in this chapter? But it's, he's, uh, it's, it's a sort of humble responsibility. Yeah. I mean, like, he says he's not very good at magic and he's not supposed to use magic. Mm-hmm. So this is a, I think that sort of reinforces the idea that this community is, is based more upon just the supernatural. Um, that it is a family first. And, the, you know, you don't have to be uh, particularly adept at uh, magic spells or shaking your umbrella 
to uh, to be a member. Yeah, well, I think that is very much Dumbledore's opinion of Hagrid. I think you've just articulated there, in that, in a way, Hagrid to him is like family. The reason why I was also thinking about Hagrid and responsibility is that Hagrid has to take on uh, the responsibility of telling Harry like who he is and all about the wizarding war and everything and that's a huge responsibility that he is completely unprepared for mm, he's quite frustrated that the yeah. dursleys haven't done it yeah and i can understand him because like that's that's so much to put on like one person you just think it's gonna be easy it's fine i'm just gonna collect this kid and then you have to explain to him like he he says to Harry, you, know, you don't even know your own story. Like, it, it, the meaning behind those words is really heavy. It's like, you, you, you have a story. There is, there is a narrative. There, people talk about you, you know, but you don't know this yourself. I don't know, but maybe kind of segue from that comment into the idea of casualties of war because I know we obviously have Lily and James being casualties of war because they died but something that you mentioned right at the beginning was Harry also being a casualty of war yeah. and I think one of the senses in which he is a casualty is that he lost his story he lost the right to kind of live his own life in the magical world yeah that's sort of the story of um uh exiles people yeah. who, you know people who have to leave a country mm. where they're from because of war mm -hmm. part of what makes home home is that history and that story of the country and um here we uh yeah you're you're absolutely right like harry um he he's he's uh he's only now learning that story in the poem as well i mean that sort of history is we're reminded of that story which is you know informs our lives today still should we move the conversation so, on and talk about violence? You see, what I was thinking about violence too. For such a short chapter, there is a huge amount of war imagery yeah, in this. Yeah. Like, it, it opens. The very first spoken line in this chapter is Dudley's saying, where's the cannon? In response to Hagrid booming on the door. Yeah, which, it opens with a boom! Yeah, it's like, you know, the, the hut on the rock in the sea is under attack from an unknown assailant, and Dudley thinks it's a cannon. Um, and then, as soon as Hagrid gets into the hut, Uncle Vernon like stands up to him with a rifle. The gun. Mm -hmm. You know, where did he get a rifle from? That is a weapon of war. Um, and then, of course, later, Vernon is insulting Lily and James, and Hagrid points his umbrella wand at him, and it's actually described as being like a sword. Oh. And then one more I noticed was that when Petunia kind of lets rip about all her feelings, um, <laughs> she just lets everything, she lets out. everything out, she describes Lily's death as having got herself blown up, yeah. which is yeah. like a bomb or yeah. a landmine or something. I was surprised she would say that to Yeah, to it, was, it was very Child. graphic. Very graphic. And all of those are very kind of warlike. Mm-hmm. I feel like everything we've talked about in this chapter makes me think about how dark it is. Yeah. And I feel like, are we just making it really dark or is it genuinely this dark that we haven't noticed until now? So Hagrid, when he's talking about, uh, you know, to Harry, of course, you're a wizard. Has anything ever happened to you when you've been angry or upset? And it's this violence which manifests in magic. For Vernon, you could see he's, he's scared, he's defending himself, and he turns to a rifle. For Harry, mm. magic arises out of anger and violence. And what does exactly does that mean? Is it like, is is magic sort of linked to self-expression in a way? 
It definitely seems to be linked to some kind of strong emotion. Well, we see that quite, I think, quite explicitly later on. So yeah. About, first of all, like the unforgivable curses. Yeah. You say you have to really mean them. You yeah. have to feel the anger and the hatred. And then at the other end of the spectrum, you have um, the Patronuses, which require you to think of something really happy. Yeah. So you've got to be really engaged with your inner emotions in order to do magic, even right. invo- involuntarily, as mm-hmm. we see Harry doing as a child. It's always at times when he's feeling strong emotions. So is it the kind of sincerity which a good wizard holds? Is it, you know? I'm laughing at the idea of like a wizard trying to ironically cast a spell. <laughs> like, yeah. would that work? I don't no, know. seriously though, could you? Like, would you have to have a sincere emotion in order to yeah. cast it? I don't know. I don't know if you can be ironic and cast a spell. I'm just interested in this idea of uh, sincerity. of sincerity and like what kind of role magic plays. Yeah, well, I mean, we started this this kind of section of talking about violence and there is a lot of violent and war imagery which does tie in with the theme of you know harry finding out about his parents death but there's also a lot of love in this chapter um between hagrid and harry and you know one of the first things he does as ella mentioned last week is he sets a fire and he brings harry a cake and a little birthday cake and sausages, which are all just these acts of like love and caring, and also thinking about war again, camaraderie, especially the idea of like the sausages on the open fire, like that's and that's what gets people through, even during the First World War, where we have this image of tech people just being in the trenches and being afraid for their lives. But a lot of the the troops got on so well with each other because they had a sense of camaraderie and friendship and I think that that's what Hagrid is trying to bestow onto Harry and he just responds badly when the Dursleys betray that in a way. Sitting around a table having breakfast which uh, Harry was always on the periphery of that table wasn't he? Mm -hmm. He was cooking and serving. Exactly. And when he goes to uh, Hogwarts in the movies anyway my first remembrance is them all sitting around these tables and huge like rows of children. Yeah, and Hagrid kind of introduces that idea with the cake and the sausages. <laughs> and turning Dudley into Count Curly Wee. <laughs> I thought that was a bit mean, because Dudley actually didn't do anything. Hagrid did that as a response to Vernon being annoyed, so I think that was a bit unjust. Poor poor Dudley in that instance. I don't think he deserved that curly tail. <laughs> well, all I want to know is where do those sausages come from? Hagrid's coat uh-huh. is an ecosystem, in case you haven't noticed. It's got owls, it's got sausages, cakes. And- yeah, but he's turning children into pigs <laughs> no. and then pulls sausages out of his pocket. You know, it's not an ecosystem, it's an abattoir. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. If you can have violent outbursts and that manifests as magic, and if you can bend the world to the to your will and, and you don't know how to feel or how to deal with tragedy or whatever then you can go to very dark places very quickly so it seems to me that one of the most important things they have to learn uh in hogwarts is virtue which is the the knowledge of um what to feel and sort of how to feel and it um and you know that in a way hogwarts has to be a family place it has because other you know it has to be a place of like you said love mm-hmm. um because otherwise you end up with like uh, being Voldemort. Instead of living forever through your ancestors and your progeny, 
you want to live forever on your own. And it's this real um, and deep isolation, which is completely different to Harry's isolation before he goes to Hogwarts, which is he's not alone in his feelings. And he, but Voldemort sort of is. Do you know what that just made me think of? Yeah. Sorry, just to jump in. Um, and this is only really in my mind because at the time of this recording, we're actually getting quite close to the release of the next Fantastic Beasts film, yeah. which introduced the idea of the Obscurial, uh-huh. who is somebody born with magic, but through kind of self-violence and acts of self-hatred, mm-hmm. kind of suppresses it until it explodes out in some kind of huge, violent, magical form. Um, Perhaps and Ariana Dumbledore? Yes, theories. of course. Yes, <laughs> theories. Ever since that film, people have been thinking, is she an Obscurial? Mm-hmm. Um, but that made me think of, we kind of do have an explicit connection between violence and magic in the mm-hmm. form of the Obscurial. Um, and it just made me think of that when you were saying, like, people who don't know how to feel. Yeah. Or even in the our sort of stories of magical tales, I mean, evil witches are sort of manifest outside them. They're ugly creatures. Mm-hmm. Oh, which happens with to Voldemort. And I think that's a really interesting yeah. topic. It's one that I think of a lot. I'm like, why is he always so... Like hideous, but we can get to that when we when we talk more about Baltimore. On our website, you you um you how you provide the poem in Vanders Fields, and mm-hmm. you said, "Oh, here's a really nice illustrated version." Yeah. And um, I was looking through it, and I was almost expecting. Oh, Otto Dix. I was almost expecting these sort of grotesque sort of images, uh, like um, Otto Dix, but they're very calm and it's serene um, images, and I suppose. You know, this this is a uh, in Flanders Field is a is a it's a war poem without being about violence in a way, but it is about those who are you know laid to rest under now peaceful poppy fields. Mm. Please join us next week where we will be looking at Chapter Five, Diagon Alley, and we will look be looking at that in relation to Chapter Ten of Oliver Twist by Charles Dickens. We'll be looking at it through the theme of being introduced to a new society particularly with Draco Malfoy in mind and if you want to know any more about the secondary texts or have any, see any notes or anything we have lots of information on our website to check out if you want to which is just ravencoreaders.com so have a look there if you want to explore a bit more with that look out for merch and t-shirts and bedspreads oh <laughs> Ravenclaw reader curtains no we've got no merch just don't no merch at all <laughs> Sunglasses. No sunglasses. All right. Novelty keep cups. Thank you very much. And a board game. Bye. 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 <laughs> a board game. Okay, you only saw the films once each when they came out, so he can't remember why Hagrid was expelled. If I had to guess, he probably sat on someone. Oh, that's so mean! Okay, children in Hogwarts have been worse, like, they've been through worse than just being sat on by a large student. (laughs) A particularly large student.